especially for the benefit of our guests who may not know this, in your service folder there's a gold sheet and on that sheet there is an opportunity to follow along with uh, sermon notes and also a take-home uh, sermon study um, for your uh, personal Bible study at home. Now, sometimes, um, have you ever felt like your entire life is run and ruled by rules? Um, kids, uh, you sometimes feel that way. I know that I did. Um, rules for so many different things. Uh, you know, no, no running, no screaming, no jumping on the bed, no pushing, no hitting, no dessert until you eat your supper. Then you get to the school age and there's an entirely second set of rules that you now need to apply uh, to your life at school. Um, no talking, no cheating, no passing notes, no cutting in line, don't be late, don't fall asleep. Now, the, the bad news, kids, is that while you might think when you're adults you don't have rules, there still are many of them that we need to follow and to keep and to uh, remember. Uh, some of them are, are things like uh, no stealing, um, no speeding, no driving without your seatbelt, no avoiding taxes, um, no checks accepted here, and, and of course, no shirt, no shoes, no service, right? <laughs> to name a few of the rules. Uh, the thing is, is that when we look at rules, we tend to very easily feel like they're a burden on our life, that they are things that make our life less fun or less better. And yet, the truth is, is that while there are some rules that may be needless and some rules uh, sometimes that, that aren't quite as important as others, all rules were meant to not be a burden, but to be given as a blessing. Um, as an example, um, imagine driving without any rules, okay? Imagine driving your car and there's no center line and there's no direction one way or the other and there's no speed limits and no signs and no stoplights. I mean, every time we got in the car, it, we'd be taking our life into our own hands, right? So in this series, then, we are looking at God's rules, God's Ten Commandments. And when it comes to, to his rules, last week what we did, we didn't look at a commandment, but instead we just kind of set the tone for the, for the giving of the Ten Commandments by looking at the first two verses as God set the tone of Exodus chapter 20. And the main truth we kind of came to, you'll find on the screen here, it was that God gave us the commandments not to earn his love, but to be a blessing to us. He gave us the commandments because he loves us. Now this was brought home to us with the fact that even before God gave a single thou shalt not, he already established his relationship by saying in Exodus chapter 2, I am already your God. Before there was even a rule that they could mess up or get right, he told them, I'm your God. And he showed that to them, Exodus chapter 20 verse 2, of how he became their God as he, one thing, he reminds them of how he re released them from slavery in Egypt. And how they did not get saved from the Egyptian slavery by following any rules, but how was it again? Essentially just through trusting God's promise and through the blood of lamb, 
put on the door frames. We call that the Passover, and we looked in depth into that last week. In the same way, you and I, remember I said this last week, that God's love for us, God does not love us better when we do the right thing. He loves it when we do the right thing, but his love for us through Jesus never changes. His love doesn't go up and down for us, whether we do the right thing or not. Through faith in Jesus, he loves us undeservedly all the time. And so we too are saved through faith or trust in God's promises and through the blood of the Lamb, his Son, spread not on door frames, but used to wash away our sins. So, before we begin today's study, I have a question for you that I'd like you to consider. Which of the Ten Commandments is the most important? And in case you can't remember all of them or in case you, you've never learned all of them, they're here on the screen, okay? And, and I want you to think of this and start thinking about it because you're going to uh, share it with someone sitting next to you, um, not related to you. Um, th- which you think is the most important commandment and, and maybe a quick answer as to why. Now, all of the Ten Commandments are important, otherwise God wouldn't give them to us. But if you had to categorize one as being the most important, which one would you say and a quick reason as to why? So if you need to turn around or scooch over, just about 20 seconds will take. Share that with someone sitting next to you. Go ahead. Uh, Most of us sharing, maybe not all of us were comfortable with that. Most of us did. Um, It's kind of a, maybe uh, an easier question today as was kind of a lead-in to the first commandment. Um, But it's interesting. Did you know that Jesus was asked that question? That's why I asked it to you. In the New Testament, Jesus was asked the question by a teacher of the Bible, a Jewish teacher, and he was asked, which is the greatest of the commandments? And listen to what Jesus' reply was. And um, if your answer was not this one, I think you're going to have to change your answer because we're not going to argue with Jesus on this. Um, He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first commandment and it's also the greatest commandment. Jesus says that the first commandment, you shall have no other gods and that we should love him with all our heart, soul and mind is the first commandment, and it's the the greatest commandment. And I want to read Moses receiving that commandment from God, from Exodus chapter 20, beginning with verse 3. God tells Moses, write this down, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. And so, just like I taught the kids this morning, there was a reason God put the first commandment first, because he wanted to put first things first. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods, is the greatest commandment, it's the most important one, but the question that we want to consider today is why? And how will you be blessed when you keep the first commandment as the greatest commandment? 
Now, there's a couple different answers to that question of why. The first one is probably more important than the second one, but it's the one that we're going to not spend quite as much time on today. The first reason can be kind of understood if we read from Isaiah 43. God speaks to Isaiah and he tells him, Before me no God was formed, nor will be, there be one a God after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me there is no Savior. Earth is not our final destination. Sometimes, because it's the only place we've been, we forget about that. But there's a better place awaiting us, and we're not going to get there by keeping the Ten Commandments. Remember last week we talked about the semester exam approach to heaven? The semester exam approach to heaven is this, that you look at the Ten Commandments as some sort of a quiz, and, and, and you hope and pray and pray and pray and pray and pray that you get as many of them right to earn a passing grade and hope that God lets you into heaven. We're not quite sure, just like with the semester exam grade, with that approach, and that's why people are nervous about death and nervous about heaven. But God says there's a different way. And he says there's only one way, one God and one Savior. And so keeping the first commandment is not faith, but the keeping the first commandment, the first commandment is connected to faith. It's an acknowledgement that the God of the Bible and Jesus is the only God. There is no other way. That's not a very politically correct thing to say, is it? I knew you wouldn't throw tomatoes at me. But if you went out into your workplace and said, you know what, I'm sorry to say, but there's only one way to heaven, you'd be criticized in this climate, in this society. That's not a very politically correct thing to say, but here's the thing. God's not about political correctness. He's about truth. I'd rather have someone who loved me be honest with me than politically correct. God says there's only one way. It's through Jesus. That's the most important reason why the first commandment is the greatest. But there is another one. Because when we get the first commandment right, when we put first things first, something happens for the rest of them, the rest of the commandments. And to kind of explain what I mean by that, I'd like to, to talk about guys while they're dating. Um, when a guy is dating a girl that he really likes, um, what won't he spend on her? I mean, he may be a smart guy, and, and he may understand how money works, and he may understand budgeting, and he may understand that you can't spend what you don't have. Visa doesn't go by that, but, uh, but it is true. You can't spend what you don't have. But if you really like a girl, if she's at the center of the most important thing in your life at that moment, there is nothing you won't spend. There's nothing that you won't buy, if at all possible, to, to make that, that girl happy. Um, those of us guys who are already married, think back to your dating years. You did the same thing. Imagine or think back to all the things you did just to show this girl that you, now your wife, that you really liked her. 
Think about the, the places you'd go. Um, guys go to the craziest places, like movies starring Julia Roberts. All because, not because they would normally go there, but because this girl, his girlfriend, is most important in his life right now. Um, guys will go to places like the orchestra, not because they like music like that, but because his girl likes it. Um, they'll go maybe even to the family reunion of his girl and spend all day there. Some of you, even in your dating years, and I know you won't admit it, maybe something, Al, you did, spend all day shopping with Diane during your dating years, not because you like to shop, but because you liked her. And still today, guys, we, we do projects for our, our wives and for the family that we wouldn't do for any, if anyone else asked us. And even those projects that were asked that we were wondering, what? Why again? While we mope and moan and complain, most of the time, maybe not all the time, but most of the time, we still do them. We still repaint that room again because there's someone who's important in our life. Because she's most important person in our life. You know what the first commandment asks? Here's what it asks. Who's most important in your life? Who do you live for? Who's got your heart? And Jesus says, this is the first and greatest commandment. And one of the reasons is because it's so vitally connected to all the others. Because the only way we can joyfully follow and keep the other commandments is when we keep the first one. And when we put Jesus, God, at the center of our lives. Now, doing that's pretty hard. Because God asks us to do that all the time. That's a pretty hard thing to do. In fact, it is so hard that there is this amazing irony going on as God is telling Moses on the top of Mount Sinai, write this down, Moses, you shall have no other gods, you shall not make any graven images, meaning don't fashion any gods, false gods. At the same time that God is telling Moses on the top of Mount Sinai, don't make idols, what are the people down in the valley doing, right below the mountain? Making an idol. For those of you who don't know the account, the people down in the valley, God's people, are making a golden calf and beginning to worship it. Now, when, when I got old enough not just to know the account of the, the golden calf, but to actually uh, think about context, I remember thinking, how dumb were these people? I mean, they just walked through the Red Sea parted, all right? They just saw how God had spared their life, and now they're making a gold calf to worship? I mean, in some ways, I almost felt like this doesn't even sound like it's real. Like, it, it almost sounds made up. It's so dumb that someone would do that or think to do that. But you know what? I think there's more to it than that. And, and to help you understand what you struggle with, I want you to hear what the Israelites struggled with. 
So I'm going to read a few verses from Exodus chapter 32. This was going on down in the valley below Mount Sinai as, as Moses is being told to write down, you shall have no other gods. Verse 1, when the, the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron, one of the leaders, and said, come, Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses and the Hebrew word for fellow is as flippant as the way that I just said it. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So the Israelites start to ask that Aaron would make them some more gods. The Israelites were very used to having multiple gods because the, the, the reality is, is that every religion except that in Yahweh, the, the God of the Bible, at that time was filled with multiple gods. They were all uh, uh, religions with multiple gods, the God of the sky, the God of the, the water, the God of the sun, and, and on and on and on. In fact, the Israelites were very familiar with a god from Egypt. His name was Apis, A-P-I-S, Apis. And he was the god of worldly pleasure, the god of power, the god of even sex, and he was symbolized by a golden, or a, I'm sorry, a young bull or calf, okay? So they were familiar with this false god Apis. Verse 2, Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and they brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool, then they, that would be the people, said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Now, this is where we get a fuller understanding. Notice the Israelites didn't say, Here is your God, and you're only to worship Apis, this golden calf. Instead, they say, Here are your gods. So they weren't really at all getting rid of the true God the one who just brought them out of Egypt? I mean, how could you get rid of the one who brought you out of Egypt after he just brought you out of Egypt, right? They weren't getting rid of the true God. What were they doing? They were just adding to him. Why? Verse 5 and 6. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf. An altar, I mean, this is so messed up to the true God in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. Notice caps. So who are they? They just built a calf and now they're having a festival to who? The true God, Yahweh, Lord, all in caps. That's what that refers to. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. So in the morning, they get up and they worship Yahweh. And then afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. And in the afternoon, they indulged in revelry. You know what revelry is? It's all that stuff that your parents told you not to do, and especially not until you're married, all right? That's revelry. The things that we're not supposed to do. You know what the Israelites wanted? They wanted gods, not God. 
And while they were willing to keep him around, and my, I mean, who wouldn't? He just freed you from slavery. They also wanted more for their lives. They, they wanted more fun, more than what they felt like the God, Yahweh, could give them. You know, when it comes to the first commandment, I think this is what we struggle with the most. Because if I were to ask you, who is your God? You would say, Jesus is my God. He's my only Lord and Savior. And yet that does not mean that we're totally keeping the first commandment. Because the first commandment says that you should give God all honor, all glory, all praise. The first commandment says, not that you believe in me, but that you make me, God, the center of your life. You know what we struggle with, or how we struggle? Let me, uh, let me explain what I think many of us are tempted to do using a, a little illustration here. When I was in college, I had a, uh, an acquaintance, uh, a friend, who loved Tabasco sauce. Um, any Tabasco sauce lovers here that really like it, like on a lot of stuff? Um, yeah, really loved Tabasco sauce. And in fact, he had, I don't know how he did this, but he had Tabasco sauce like always with him. Um, when we were in the cafeteria, he had his Tabasco sauce, he put it on all of his food. When we went to McDonald's, I don't know like if it was in his pocket or something, but all of a sudden there was Tabasco sauce and he added it to his hamburger and to his, his french fries. Even when he went on, on dates and took his, his uh, girlfriend to very nice restaurants like Perkins and Denny's. Because um, remember, we were in college, and if it had a waitress, it was fancy. Um, and he'd bring his Tabasco sauce along and add it so that at just the right moment, when he needed it, he applied his Tabasco sauce. You know what? Like the Israelites, we're sometimes guilty of using God like my friend used Tabasco sauce. Here's what I mean. And we, we're all guilty of it. We go about our lives, and many times we go about our lives and make decisions and, and, and make plans and calendar decisions without a lot of thought about God. We do what we want. It's our life. We make decisions about budgets and all those sorts of things without a lot of thought about God. It's, it's my life. But then when the right moment comes, when we really need him, we take God out at that moment and we kind of add him to our life like Tabasco sauce. So for some people, Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday, uh, some people might not really be able to tell that someone's a Christian. But on Sunday morning, that's when I get out the Tabasco sauce and I add a little bit of God to my life. Or how about me? Sometimes I'm guilty when my sermon writing doesn't go the way that I was hoping. That instead of making God the central figure of all my preparation when it comes to my reliance on him, it's only when I'm in a jam that I kind of add a little bit more God. When we've got semester exams coming up, we pull out the Tabasco. When We've got a job interview. 
we pull out God. When we're disappointed, when we're worried, when a relationship doesn't work, or when we're hoping for a relationship, when someone's sick, we, we bring out God, and sometimes we, we're guilty of, of using him like Tabasco sauce. Now, understand what I'm not saying. God wants to be involved in all those things. God is involved in all those things. Don't not bring him into it. That's not what we're saying. But what we're saying is, is using God like Tabasco sauce is not making God God. You see, God is more than an ingredient in your life. The first commandment says, he is your life. And when we realize he is our life, no longer am I the center and use God to glorify me and to make my life better. Instead, God's the center and I use my life to glorify him. You know why we often do this? Because we don't, we don't trust God enough. Sometimes. We don't always trust or believe that God is going to bless my life the way that I want to be blessed. Jesus addressed this once, Matthew chapter 6. He said, Seek first God. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. You see, God not only took care of your eternity, but his promises is as proof he took care of your eternity, he, that how much he loves you, that's proof that he will also take care of your day-to-day -day lives. That he will give us what we need. And that he is the God that we center our calendars around. That we center our budgets around, that we center our schedules around, that we center our school life around. And then guess what happens to all the other commandments? This isn't the main reason we follow the first commandment, but it is interesting. When we get the first commandment right, then all the others become easier. You see, if God is not the most important part of your life, then God becomes like some nagging person asking us to repaint the bedroom again. But when he's the most important person in your life, when he is the center of our lives, when he is our God, then if he asks us to repaint the bedroom, there's more joy in it, and we do it lovingly. If God is our God, then why would we lie? We trust that God will take care of things. When God is God, when he's the centerpiece of our life, why would we hurt others? Why would we kill? It is up to God to repay, the Bible says. When God is our God, what would we covet? We have all that we need in him. And so this section ends Exodus chapter 20 with these words. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. What that means is that when God isn't the centerpiece of a home or a life, especially parents' life, that has an effect 
on generations afterwards. But in the same way, or in a different way, showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. God is a jealous God. That doesn't mean he has a superiority complex or that he's needy. But he needs attention. What it means is that God is worthy of all praise. Whether the world acknowledges it or not, one day, every knee will bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that he is Christ, the Lord and Savior. He's not a jealous God. He's not needy. You know what he knows? You know what he wants for you? He knows that our lives will be blessed when we start with him instead of adding him like Tabasco sauce. When we make him our life and not an ingredient to our lives. And so God gives us the Ten Commandments and he starts with uh, first things first. And I pray that we do too. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and in faith we acknowledge that you are the Lord, that you are the only God. And yet, Lord, today as we consider the first commandment, we have to confess that we all at times um, don't make you the center of our lives. And Lord, we humbly ask for your forgiveness for that and know that you grant it to us. Now we ask you to help us trust more um, that when you are the center, that all will work out, that you will bless us, and give us your Holy Spirit um, to do just that, all to your glory and praise. In Jesus' name.